Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge, giving the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At betteredge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank with no VIG or sportsbook fees. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Create an account and use code PGF for $20 free on your first order. Play the game without getting played at betteredge.com. Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football, drink beer, talk NFL and college football. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? I've got another great show today, guys. NFL Week 15 winners and losers, my top three Pro Bowl snubs, some thoughts on Jared Goff and Dak Prescott. Are the Packers still alive for the playoffs? And a lot more to get to, so let's crack a cold one and kick this off. All right, before we get started, I want to apologize for the episode dropping a little later than usual. I know you guys who subscribe and listen every week are probably wondering, wait, why hasn't the show came out? I usually have it out first thing Thursday morning. Went out to a holiday party last night at a local brewery, then went down the street to a bar with my wife and some friends. You guys know I love beer. Stayed out a little later than expected, and it unfortunately delayed the release of this episode. Just keeping it real with you guys. But thank you guys for listening. Like always, PGF Nation, I love you guys and all the support I've had from you guys this year. I hope you guys have a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, and a fun New Year's. Now let's talk some ball. I want to start with the Detroit Lions. This team has won six of their last seven games. They have completely turned it around after that one and six start. But here's the thing. If you're a Lions fan and if you're the Lions Don't get fooled into thinking Jared Goff is the future. This team is really solid right now. They've got something going here. They might not get a chance to draft this high again for a while because this is a team that's pretty young and is starting to go in the right direction. When are they going to get an opportunity like this to draft this high? I think this is their shot right now where they need to take one of the top quarterbacks in the draft in April, whether it's a C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Whoever the guy is there that they feel good about, if there is a guy there that they feel really good about, I think they've got to pull the trigger. Now, I know there's a lot of people that think, okay, maybe they could trade back, get some more picks. It's not a terrible strategy, but I think if you take a quarterback in this draft, you could redshirt him for a year, so to speak, behind Jared Goff. Goff is playing really well. We know that. But we also know that Jared Goff has limitations. Sean McVay knew it, and that's why they moved him. We all knew it before he got to Detroit. Now, we also know this is a guy who can have success when he has a good enough team around him. But this Detroit team is building something. Like I said, this could be special. This team really could have something special if they just crush a few more draft picks. But I think it's got to start with the quarterback position because Goff could be the perfect bridge guy for a guy like Stroud or Levis. Maybe Bryce Young. I I think Bryce Young's probably going to go number one overall. But with that being said, any one of those top three guys 
could really benefit from sitting behind a really solid veteran quarterback like Goff for a year. Because, let's face it, it's really hard to win Super Bowls when you have just a slightly above average quarterback. No matter how good the rest of the roster is. And I know this they're building something, they've got a nice roster that they're putting together here. But it's the same reason Minnesota wins a lot of games, but is never a real contender because of Kirk Cousins. It's the same reason that Kyle Shanahan hasn't gotten over the hump. Eventually... Even a great team with a mediocre quarterback is going to run into a guy like Mahomes, Josh Allen, Burrow, or Brady, Rodgers, Big Ben back in the day a few years ago. You're going to run into a guy on that level, and your run is over. All right, I want to talk about the Jalen Hurts injury. This is big news around the NFL right now. He's been ruled out versus the Cowboys this week. And I've heard a lot of people in the media being critical of the Eagles for running him so much. Look, newsflash. He's not in the MVP discussion, if not for his legs. Yes, he's become a much better passer this season. I'll be the first to admit it. He's shown a ton of improvement throwing the ball, but it's all set up with the run and the heavy RPO scheme that they run in Philly. His threat as a runner is what makes this offense go. It's his throwing shoulder that's injured. It doesn't sound like it's a terrible injury from what I'm reading. I doubt he misses a playoff game, but it does sound like he was maybe close to being able to play this week versus Dallas. So that's a good thing if you're an Eagles fan. But this is something that you need to keep an eye on here because this injury, if it lingers or if it affects his play, this could make the NFC even more wide open right now. We know the Eagles are probably going to be the number one seed, but if he comes back and he doesn't look like the same guy when he comes back, this could get really interesting. This is, this is not very good timing for an injury like this, but hopefully it's nothing serious. It doesn't sound like it is. Just something to monitor. Are the Green Bay Packers playoff hopes still alive? They're 6-8. and eight. Mathematically, they're not out of it. So it got me thinking. Let's, let's look at Seattle and Washington's schedule first because those are some teams that they're going to have to jump in order to get into this mix here and possibly sneak into the playoffs Let's look at Seattle's schedule first. The Seahawks play Kansas City this week, so there's an L. Then the Jets and Rams. They could easily end up losing all three of those games because, quite frankly, Geno Smith has turned back into, well, Geno Smith. I mean, he's just not playing at the same level he was at the start of the year. I think defenses have started to kind of figure out what they do and what they do well, and this Seattle team is really starting to play closer to the team that we thought they were coming into the year. Now, you look at Washington. Obviously, they lost a huge game last week versus New York, and that puts their playoff chances in jeopardy. They play the 49ers this week. There's an L right there. They're not beating them. Then they play the Browns in Dallas. That's going to be a tough end of the year for them, too. So it's very possible that Washington could actually lose two, if not all three of those games. So the Packers need to win their final three games. They're at Miami before they visit Minnesota and Detroit. It's not going to be easy, but this team is starting to find itself late in the year here. They're starting to look like the team that we thought they might be at the beginning of the year. It just took a while for this team to gel. It took a while. It took a little longer, I should say, than people thought for Rodgers to kind of get on the same page with his young receivers, especially Christian Watson, a guy who's really starting to break out in the second half of the year. It might just be too little too late, but if they win their last three games, they would need Seattle to lose at least once. Washington would have to lose at least twice. And the New York Giants would have to lose all three of their remaining games. 
Now, like I said, not likely, but not impossible. If the Packers get into the playoffs, if this team sneaks in and it's a wide open NFC this year, that could be really interesting. The Pro Bowl rosters were announced on Wednesday, and every year the Pro Bowl roster comes out, there's always some snubs. We know there's guys that get in that shouldn't. We know there's some guys that didn't get in that should have. I've got my three players that I think should have made the Pro Bowl, starting with Christian McCaffrey, running back for the 49ers. Just look at the impact this guy has had on the 49ers offense since he got there. Now, they lost the first game after they traded for him, but they've ripped off seven straight wins since then. This team is red hot. This team was 3-3 three and three when Christian McCaffrey arrived, and now the 49ers look like a legit Super Bowl contender. His versatility in this offense and what he brings to the table, you just cannot understate the value that this guy has for this 49ers team. By far, in my opinion, the biggest Pro Bowl snub this year. Another guy that absolutely deserved to make the Pro Bowl was Javon Hargrave, defensive tackle for the Eagles. He's been a stud up front for this Eagles team. He's been one of the most consistent players on the D-line all year. He's got 10 sacks already this season, which is tied for the second most for a defensive tackle in the entire NFL. I don't know how a guy playing at that level gets overlooked, especially on a team with the best record in the NFL. My last Pro Bowl snub, Javon Holland. Safety for the Dolphins. Now, he's not a household name, but he should be. He's a second-year player. He's already become one of the best safeties in the entire NFL. 73 tackles, one and a half sacks, six pass breakups, two interceptions, and a forced fumble. This is a guy who does it all. I mean, a do-it-all player. He jumps off the screen when you watch that Dolphins defense because it feels like he's in on every play. He's instinctive. He's a ball hawk. He's a playmaker. The guy just does everything on the back end for them. Really shocked that he didn't make the Pro Bowl this year. Time for the PGF Week 15 NFL Game Ball. Jaguars safety Rashawn Jenkins is getting the game ball this week. He became the first player ever with 18 tackles and two interceptions in an NFL game. Absolutely incredible. The second pick as you guys probably already know, was a 52-yard pick six for the game winner in overtime versus the Cowboys. Lights out game for Rashawn Jenkins. Now, I did this a couple weeks ago. I thought it'd be fun to kind of bring it back. NFL Week 15 winners and losers. I've got two of each. Winners this week. NFL fans. I mean, this week was incredible. 12 of the 15 games this week were decided by just one possession. Five of the games won with scores on the final play of the game, including three overtime walk-offs. There were three 17-point comebacks, which is the most in a single week in NFL history. There was snow games. There was chaos. It was awesome. I'm sure you guys know this was I think easily the most entertaining week of NFL football we've had all year long. I just hope it keeps going. My other winner is Trevor Lawrence. Man, this is a guy who's starting to really play like the player we thought he could be. He's been up and down so far. His rookie year was kind of hot and cold. He flashed at times, but didn't really look like a number one pick. This year, he's had some moments, but in the second half of the year, he is really starting to come on. He had 318 yards and four touchdowns in that big win over Dallas. He made some big-time throws, 
and he is really starting to develop into a high-level young quarterback. Week 15 losers. The NFL refs, man, as fun as this week was, and I just talked about all the craziness and all the fun games that we saw, this weekend was full of terrible officiating. Just some brutal calls. Terry McLaurin, where you clearly see him do what every wide receiver does, and they check with the ref before the snap to see if he's lined up. We see it in every single NFL game week after week. They look at the ref, they signal to him, they say, hey, am I lined up right? The ref gives him the thumbs up or the okay, which clearly he did. Right after that, he gets a flag for an illegal formation penalty. Right after that, they missed that blatant pass interference at the end of the game versus the Giants. Those were two huge flags that really could have changed the outcome of that game. The Vikings, with two fumble recoveries, one negated a touchdown. There was that face mask called on the Vikings punt return that nobody saw, including the announcers. Everyone's going, what face mask? It was really baffling. Keelan Cole's touchdown for the Raiders, which was a huge play in the game because it tied the game late in the fourth. They go on to end up winning that game. There's no way they win that game without that late touchdown. He was clearly out of bounds. There's multiple camera angles where you see his foot on the line. Now, look, I don't normally like to beat up on refs. It's not something I do a lot of on this show because, quite frankly, for the most part, they do a really good job. But this weekend was full of so many bad calls that affected the outcomes of games. And quite frankly, the NFL just can't have it. This is too big of a business. We're talking a multi-billion dollar business. There's too much money at stake. There's too many jobs at stake. I mean, let's face it. This is a win or lose league. Guys get cut from teams. Guys get traded. Coaches get fired when teams lose. We're coming down the home stretch here. The playoffs are right around the corner, and the NFL cannot have weekends like this when it comes to the officiating. My other Week 15 loser, Jacoby Myers. I mean, this one's kind of obvious. Maybe the dumbest thing I've ever seen in an NFL game. It was pretty obvious to everyone watching this game that the Patriots are just trying to run out the clock and play for overtime. Then they lateral the ball, and Myers decides to throw it backwards 20 yards and then 30 yards across the field to Mac Jones, of all people. He said in an interview afterwards, he said, I thought Mac Jones was open. Who cares? It's Mac Jones. What are you doing? I just, it was baffling. I, I think we're all dumbfounded by this play. Nobody understood it. They lose the game, obviously, because the ball gets picked off. It's really unfortunate because this type of play is going to haunt Jacoby Myers. And this is the kind of play that's going to live on forever, unfortunately. We're going to see this highlight for years to come. I don't care if Jacoby Myers goes on to win multiple MVPs and five Super Bowls. This is going to be the play that he's always known for, and that really sucks. This week's Twitter poll question at PGF Podcast. I love doing these poll questions every week. I love getting your guys' feedback. I put on Twitter, are the Cowboys Super Bowl contenders? 23% said yes. 77% said no. I was a little surprised by this result, but look, I said recently that they would be on my list of teams that could win the Super Bowl. Now, they were the lowest on my list. But this roster is good enough. I really think that they have a roster that makes them a contender. Now, the big question mark is Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott's problem is he's always trying to make the big play. We saw it again this last week. Too often, he's trying to force the ball downfield when he doesn't need to, and it leads to errant throws and interceptions. 
Just look at the way the Cowboys played with Cooper Rush earlier this year. The Cowboys offense was leaning on Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. They were sprinkling in shots down the field in the passing game, but they were a run-heavy team. It's the way this team needs to play if they want to be a legit contender. It's a winning formula for the Cowboys. Now look, Dak Prescott is a more talented player than Cooper Rush. There's no debating that. But they need to be a run-heavy team that can lean on play action for those occasional big plays down the field. I know you've got playmakers like CeeDee Lamb. You want to get those guys the ball. But it needs to go through the run first. Stop trying to be something that you're not, Dallas. Look, Dak Prescott is not Mahomes. He's not Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, or some elite passer. He just isn't. He's a lot closer to Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr than those guys. Now, look, that's not a knock on Dak Prescott. Most of the league, quite frankly, isn't those guys I just mentioned. But they can win with Dak Prescott. They just need to stay in their lane. Dallas hasn't looked anywhere close to a Super Bowl caliber team recently, and I understand why you guys voted so against them as a contender. They needed a late fourth quarter drive to beat the Texans. Last week, the Cowboys blew a 17-point lead against the Jaguars and lost in overtime. They just got to get back to what they were doing earlier in the year. Speaking of Super Bowl contenders, if the Bills are going to make a deep playoff run, and let's face it, they've been the favorite coming into the season, they're still one of the favorites right now, but they're going to need their star wide receiver to play like one. In weeks 11 through 15, Stephon Diggs has 27 catches, 314 yards, and three touchdowns. Those are pedestrian numbers. Now, the Bills have won five straight, so I get it. You might say they're winning even though he's been average. What are you talking about? I, I get it. But Stephon Diggs hasn't had a 100-yard game since week 10. This is one of the elite receivers in the game. This is a guy that, like I said, when the playoffs come around, it's a different animal. And your stars have to perform like stars if they want to get past the other elite teams in the NFL. Kansas City, Cincinnati, maybe the Eagles or 49ers if they get to the Super Bowl. If you're going to beat those level of teams, your big-time players have to play like it. All right, and once again, guys, the pick six betting picks are going to be on Twitter again this week. Went three and three last week, but I did hit my bonus pick that was exclusively on betteredge.com. So ends up being a four and three week for me. Not great, but hey, it's a winning week. If you guys want to get those picks, once again, like always, at PGF Podcast on Twitter. If you aren't already following the show, hit me up on Twitter. Plus, you can hit me up anytime. Just send me a DM. I'll respond to everyone who does. Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge. Bringing the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At BetterEdge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Play the game without getting played at BetterEdge.com. Excited to be joined by Edward Sutlin, a content creator who covers the NFL for the Sporting News. Edward, thanks for coming on the show. Brad, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk some ball, man. You've had a lot of great stuff recently on the Sporting News website, just some great articles. You wrote an article recently for the Sporting News in regards to the single season receiving yards record that Tyreek Hill and Justin Jefferson are threatening to break this year. Now, my listeners know I've said for weeks that 
these two guys need to be in the NFL MVP discussion. These are guys who've elevated the play of their quarterbacks and their teams while putting up incredible numbers. What are your thoughts? I couldn't agree more. I think when you look at the play of the two wide receivers, you know, these are guys that if Kirk Cousins or Tua, if if they're in a jam, they're looking for Jefferson. They're looking for Hill. I mean, I think that was one of the aspects that kind of helped Patrick Mahomes' game, especially in Kansas City, was that anytime the Chiefs needed to go into like a scramble drill, anytime he got flushed out of the pocket, you see Hill just finding some way to improvise and, and find space out there. And, and he's been able to continue that same level of play for the Dolphins uh, now with Tagovailoa. You know, and then with Jefferson, I think every week you see some new ridiculous catch that he makes, some way that he's able to just bust up coverage and, you know, win in double coverage. And he's posting 200 receiving yards a, a week. It's, I mean, it's absurd what he's doing, especially at his, when you consider that he's still only 23 years old. Especially Jefferson, I think, needs credit for what he's been doing this season because, you know, he doesn't have a Jalen Waddle on the other side of the, of the offense for him. No disrespect to Adam Thielen and KJ Osborne, who I think a lot of teams would be happy to have as their two and three wide receivers, but Waddle is a number one wide receiver in his own right. And there's no defense that's going to say, all right, well, we got to make sure to make sure that Adam Thielen doesn't beat us this week. Like they're always going to be targeting Jefferson, and he has these big games in spite of that. So I, I think, you know, they absolutely deserve to be in the MVP discussion. Now, obviously, with Mahomes doing what he's doing without any kind of number one wide receiver, kind of makes the MVP race a little bit challenging, I think, for them. But there's no reason that they shouldn't be in the discussion, especially if, you know, you start to see Mahomes have some slower games coming up. The MVP is usually going to be a quarterback more often than not. It's really rare to see a position player come away with the award. But I think this is one of those years when you look at what these guys have done so far, I think they need to be in that discussion. And it really doesn't feel like they're involved in the discussion at all. And I like what you said about how they've elevated these guys, because you look at Josh Allen, for instance, look at where his game got elevated to when he got Stephon Diggs. We talked about Tua and how his game has taken off to a different level after getting Tyree Kill. And you can also look at the reverse effect, right? A guy like Aaron Rodgers goes from league MVP to somewhat mediocre quarterback play this year. We've seen a huge drop off after he lost one of the best receivers in the game at Devontae Adams. So we love talking about the quarterbacks and rightfully so and all the things that they do. But I think sometimes what gets lost is how much of an impact these elite receivers can have on a quarterback. Now, we saw maybe the craziest ending to an NFL game last Sunday. You guys already know where I'm going here. Raiders, Patriots. You said in your article, my head just exploded. I think <laughs> just about everyone who saw this game live had the same thought. The Patriots, this is a team that we know has been one of the best teams as far as situational football for years under Bill Belichick. But is it time for New England to make some changes either to the coordinator positions or even bringing in a GM. We know Bill Belichick is the coach and GM there in New England because right now this team is really lacking playmakers and play callers on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, I think you've really got to look at, certainly, if nothing else, you've, you've got to get an offensive coordinator getting in there, um, someone that's going to dial up some more interesting plays because you know I, I don't inherently think that this is a bad Patriots team by any means. You know, they, they were one of the highest scoring teams in the league last year. I think at times Mac Jones has shown that he has the potential to be a dependable starter. I, I certainly don't think he's an elite quarterback by any stretch, but 
you know, I, I think that the offense has certainly been uninspiring. And when you see him on the sidelines every week yelling at Matt Patricia and, you know, all these other things coming out, like after that crazy play, Belichick explained that they didn't try a Hail Mary because they didn't think that he could throw 55 yards. Now, his longest completed air distance in the, since arriving in the NFL was 51.2 yards. So perhaps there's some validity to that. If you're thinking that a draw play is going to be better than a Hail Mary, you're really just saying that you want to go play for overtime. And maybe that's what they were trying to do. But I, I do also think that they should also look at potentially bringing in a general manager. They haven't really had any explosive playmakers in quite a while when you think about it. They have they have not had a 1,000-yard wide receiver since Tom Brady left. They've never really leaned on any of those explosive guys anyway, but they've had a quarterback like Tom Brady to be able to make up the difference. Sure, they've had Randy Moss. They've had Rob Gronkowski. They've had Wes Welker over the years, but those seem to be more outliers in the overall history of the Patriots. And right now you've got a guy like Mac Jones, who again is a dependable quarterback, but I think someone that needs more weapons than just Jacoby Myers and Devontae Parker to elevate his game. Those guys just aren't going to be able to get it done. I think on a consistent level, the way this offense used to be able to produce when Brady was throwing to guys like Danny Amendola and, and, and Julian Edelman, I think now they need to actually start looking at bringing in someone with experience of landing an explosive playmaker. And it's certainly not going to be easy. This wide receiver free agency class coming up is not very good. A lot of the top wide receivers are already locked up to long-term deals. So trading for them is going to be kind of difficult. Like Very possible that they've missed a window to be able to get some of these top-tier talents to support Jones. And so if you're not able to do that, at the very least, something has got to change with the offensive play calling. And I think that means bringing in someone to actually be the, uh, the team's offensive coordinator. Yeah, I think so. It just feels like something needs to change there. And I'm and I'm with you. I think a lot of people were critical of the move after McDaniels went to the Raiders and we found out that Joe Judge and Patricia were going to take on the play calling and offensive coordinator duties. I think a lot of us, myself included, were really skeptical of that move and it hasn't worked out. And I think Bill Belichick, as much as he doesn't want to admit it, this has been a big failure as far as that side of the ball. I think the defense and just the overall coaching ability of Belichick has really kept this team afloat. I think any other coach in this team might just be a dumpster fire. And like you said, they don't have playmakers. They don't have explosive players. Mac Jones, like you touched on perfectly, he's a good quarterback. He's a solid quarterback, but he's not the kind of guy that can carry a franchise. He's going to need help. He needs playmakers. He needs more explosive pieces around him if they're ever going to elevate this offense and, and get back to being a legit playoff team. So I think there does need to be some changes in New England. And clearly you're not going to move Bill Belichick. We know that. But I think some pieces around him need to change. And the GM duties is something as great as he's been at drafting corners and safeties and things like that the offensive side of the ball seems to be a blind spot for him in particular at wide receiver so now another crazy game of course was the vikings nfl record setting comeback versus the colts on saturday the vikings are now 11 and 3 but this is the team that we've seen get blown out by the eagles the cowboys and the lions they had a late score against the lions that kind of made it look a little closer than it actually was They've also been a team that's had a lot of close wins and their point differential is just plus two right now. A lot of people are questioning this team, myself included. Are they as good as their record? I mean, how good are the Minnesota Vikings? I think that it's kind of interesting when you when you look at a team like the Vikings. It's hard to say that they are 
a, a bad team, I think, uh, which is what the point differential would, it would suggest that they're basically about an average team. But, you know, kind of like what we touched on with Jefferson earlier, it's like when you have a guy like Justin Jefferson and you make it to the playoffs, which obviously they will at this point being the division champions, anything can happen. Like he can just take over a game and play well. But when you look at the rest of the team and how they've performed this season, there certainly is very little to suggest that they are a true Super Bowl contender. 10 of their wins this season have been in one-score games, and they're undefeated in those one-score games. That's just not a sustainable level of production, especially when you look at the teams that they have beaten. The Dolphins, the Bills, the Commanders are the only teams that are currently in a, in a playoff position. Every other team that they've won against is currently on the outside looking in. Most of the advanced metrics don't particularly care for them either. Football Outsiders has them listed as the 25th best team in the NFL by DVOA. There is a long list of teams that are better than them right now, and several of those teams you don't exactly look at, and it inspires confidence. Based on DVOA, they're a worse team than the Lions, the Packers, the Browns, who are all solid teams, the Buccaneers, who you think have a shot potentially if they make it to the playoffs. But then you're also looking at they're worse than teams like the Falcons and the Steelers and gulp the Broncos. I mean, it's it's a scary sign when you're seeing that an overall team metric has you as a worse team than the Broncos this year. I think the defense has like some major concerns on that side. They've gotten torched through the air quite a bit. I mean, it's it was an amazing story that they were able to come back from being down 33 to nothing. And I think it is a major credit to the resiliency of that team and a credit to the coaching and leadership that they didn't give up at halftime. But they also fell behind 33 to nothing to a Colts team that has just been miserable on offense lately. They've been under 20 points in the previous three games coming in. They had scored more than 25 points only once this season. And it wasn't even like it was Jonathan Taylor just running rough shot. He left it in the, on the first drive in the first quarter. There were turnovers that certainly hurt the Vikings, but still giving up 33 points to them. The first half was not a bend, don't break defense. They, they broke every single time. Is this a team that I would trust in the playoffs against uh, like the Buccaneers, the Giants, Maybe against the Cowboys, against the Eagles, against the 49ers. I just don't see them being a legitimate threat right now to them. Maybe Justin Jefferson completely goes off and they have no answer for him, but that would be putting quite a lot on his shoulders. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think they're a good team. I think the record is a little bit inflated, and you hit on it there. A lot of the advanced analytics and a lot of the people that kind of lean into those metrics, you're definitely right. They're not a fan of this team because when you look at it from that standpoint, they're not very impressive, and it, it would tell you that the record is a little bit false. Now, 11-3 and three is 11-3, and three, and they're certainly going to be a team that's in the mix there in the playoffs. The NFC starting to feel really wide open, so who knows? Maybe they can get hot with that offense, Justin Jefferson some of the things you pointed to, but my level of trust is pretty low because I think you're right. They might just have more talent than a team like Washington or New York or if Seattle or somebody was to slip in there. One of those types of teams, I could see them beating them, but as far as being a contender, once you jump up to some of those top-level teams that you mentioned, I would have a really hard time getting behind them in one of those matchups. So another alarming game, so to speak, was the Buccaneers blowing a 17-0 lead last Sunday versus the Bengals, the Super Bowl championship Buccaneers, that team's suddenly starting to feel like a lifetime ago. We've seen some magical comebacks from Brady this year, and they're still in the playoff mix because they play in a really down NFC South this year. But the second half last Sunday was a total meltdown. And so I've got kind of a two-part question for you here. How much of this is on Coach Todd Bowles? And do you think it's over after this year for Tom Brady in Tampa Bay? I think that it's hard to put all of this on on Todd Bowles. 
I think that Buccaneers Bengals game is is sort of like a fascinating game to look at. If you strictly were to look in the box score, I think that a lot of Buccaneers fans initially would have maybe said like, you know, that's it's not the worst possible outcome. They had 396 total yards compared to the Bengals 237. They had more first down than than the Bengals. They looked as dominant on offense as they have all season in the first half. When you actually go back and watch the game and you see all the turnovers, you see the sloppy play. I mean, again, I think that it's difficult to put all of it on bowls. Brady did not play a very good second half. Those four turnovers, one of the interceptions, he was pressured. There's little he could have done about that. But one of them was just a bad decision where he misread the defense. The fumbles that he had, one of them came on a really sloppy handover to Leonard Fournette. Still, though, it's like you're you're dialing up a fake punt in deep in your own zone when leading 17-3 against a team that, while very talented, had not shown much at all in the first half. And if you want to go for it on fourth and one, I think the data suggests that that's, that's not a bad decision. But you have a quarterback who's one of the best in, in history at the quarterback sneak. That is a much higher success rate play. You're going to get you're going to get a quarterback sneak successfully about 82% of the time. You know, maybe they didn't trust running up against that, that Bengals front line with DJ Reader and BJ Hill, but I still think that's a that's a play that has a lot less that can go wrong into it than a direct snap to the running back on a fake punt. Like I think that's just a it's a bizarre it was a bizarre decision to dial up. I, I don't think a lot of this season is on him. A lot of the issues that have happened are things that I think any coach would struggle with. Their running game has not been very good, and it's kind of roster construction. Leonard Fournette is at this point not really a proven lead back anymore. The offensive line was decimated both with injuries and with guys leaving at free agency. Tom Brady has not played his best season and in part that's been due to a lot of off the field distractions that I think have I think you've kind of seen them starting to come out a little bit. As for Brady, I I do tend to believe that this is probably the end of his run in Tampa Bay. I certainly won't go so far as to say that he's going to retire at the end of the year. When you watch him play, he doesn't show the sort of signs of aging that you would expect to see out of someone as old as he is. He still throws the ball well. He's still good at reading defenses. It's just maybe a question of his headspace at times during these games. But his whole goal of sticking around in the NFL at age 45 and what would be 46 next season is that he wants to keep winning Super Bowls. And the Buccaneers, I just don't think, are any are in a position to do that anymore. They're going to be $40 million over the cap, and they lose several guys in free agency. The running game still is is real question mark for them. Sure, the receivers are there with Evans and Godwin, but how much are you really going to keep on putting everything on Brady's shoulders? I think that he, at this point, would be looking to join a team that is more ready to compete for a Super Bowl immediately. I keep on seeing the two that keep getting thrown out are Las Vegas and San Francisco. At this point, I feel like San Francisco is probably not going to be super likely to go for him. They've got Trey Lance. They're pretty clear they're going to move with him in the future. He obviously was hurt very early this season. So they haven't really seen much of him. And I don't think they're just going to push him to the side to bring in Tom Brady. If you bring in Tom Brady, you're clearly giving him the reins of the franchise. And if they've shown anything with Brock Purdy, it's that they can win with just about anybody under quarterback. And I think they want to see what Lance has to offer. I think the Raiders are maybe a team that make a little bit more sense. He'd be going to play for McDaniels, who obviously has a lot of familiarity with this game. I do think that a 46-year-old Tom Brady, as crazy as it is to say, would still be an upgrade over Derek Carr, who I think is a solid quarterback, but Brady's Brady's Brady. And that receiving core, the the running back, like Josh Jacobs, if they're able to bring him back, you've got Devontae Adams, you've got Darren Waller, you got Hunter Renfro. That is a team right there that I think is 
in a better position offensively, at least to kind of compete. You know, I don't think his options are going to be as great as maybe they were when he hit free agency the first time. And it seemed like everybody was going to just open up the bank and try to get him to come by. But I do still think that there's going to be better options for him than Tampa Bay at this point. And so I do think that it's pretty likely that he's going to leave. It does kind of feel like this run is over for Tampa Bay. The, and it's not all on Bulls. I think you're right. I think some of the in-game decisions and some of the coaching, I think, does need to fall back on him. You kind of touched on that with some of the decision-making we've seen from this team. But it's certainly not all on him because you alluded to this. The roster has kind of deteriorated around Brady. And we know that this is a guy who needs a strong offensive line because he's not a mobile quarterback. He never has been. He's a true pocket passer. And when the O-line is playing at a level that it's at now compared to where it was a couple years ago. It's just really hard, I think, for him to have a high level of success. And I think it is going to be time for him to move on. I I have a hard time thinking he's going to retire either. I, I really do. I think this is a guy who's still so hungry to get back. And I think you hit on it. He might not be playing at the level he was a couple years ago, but I think he's still playing at a high enough level that in his mind he thinks in the right situation that he could get it done. The Raiders make a ton of sense. It really does. The McDaniels connection and the playmakers that he would have there. It'll be really interesting and it's going to be fascinating once we get to that point. But speaking of Super Bowls here, and you wrote an article recently titled, Is the Super Bowl Hangover Real or a Myth? Now, you noted that the Rams are on the verge of the worst record ever for a reigning champion with a 4-10 and record right now. The Bengals, however, are a team that are poised to make another run at the Super Bowl, it looks like. I've always found this topic really interesting, the whole Super Bowl hangover. What did you discover when researching this topic? It's certainly a fascinating thing to look into because you always kind of hear this idea that if a team goes to the Super Bowl, the next season's not going to be as great. And obviously, it's very difficult to win back-to-back Super Bowls. But there's not necessarily a ton of evidence to suggest that there is a major Super Bowl hangover. Teams that win a Super Bowl, their average record the next season is 10-5, and and they make the playoffs 71% of the time. Teams that lose the Super Bowl, their record is an average of 9-6, and 10-5. and uh, is, is about where they sit. They also make the playoffs at the same rate, 71% of the time. The the Rams, I think, when you look at it, are such a historical outlier, really. Like There have only been six teams that have ever had a losing season after winning the Super Bowl. And three of those teams went seven and nine the following year. One of them went six and nine because of a shortened season. And one of them went three and six because of a strike shortened season. That's still the worst. The only other team that really kind of compares to the Rams were the 1999 Denver Broncos, who after winning the Super Bowl, they had a lot of injuries that season. Elway retired. They went six and 10. And that is the most losses in Super Bowl history, at least until the Rams tied it with their loss on Monday to the Packers. It is very interesting because I think you often hear that the team that wins the Super Bowl most likely stays in contention for a Super Bowl the next year. The team that loses it tends to drop off pretty quick. I did find that to be sort of an interesting narrative, especially with this past Super Bowl, because when you looked at a team like the Rams, they weren't inherently a roster or a franchise that right now is structured to win for the long term anyway. They traded out to get a lot of veterans. And as soon as the Super Bowl ended, you started hearing rumors about whether or not Aaron Donald would retire, would Matthew Stafford retire. Uh, They obviously dealt most of their first round picks for a while. So this was not a team that was inherently going to be built to win much farther than this 2022 season and injuries. Some key departures on the offensive line have kind of tanked those, those chances. The Bengals, on the other hand, were a team that 
very much looked like they would be able to stick around, I think, for longer term. They had guys like Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, all still on rookie contracts. When you have playmakers like that, it's easier to see them staying around in the playoff picture. And obviously, that's the case. I think they're one of the teams, when you look at the current NFL state, that's there's probably six teams that have a, a legitimate Super Bowl chance, and, and the Bengals are one of them. It's been fascinating to kind of dig into it, especially with the Rams' total meltdown this season. They will go down as a very unique outlier, I think, when it comes to teams winning the Super Bowl and then coming back the next season. Edward Sutlin on the show. Once again, he covers the NFL for the Sporting News. Go check out his work. He's putting out all kinds of awesome articles, like some of the ones we touched on here today. Edward, it's been a blast. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. That is going to do it for today's episode presented by Better Edge. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on new episodes, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.